Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. This has been a very busy news week indeed. Here in Ohio, the Ohio Christian Alliance, along with concerned citizens of Medina City, filed a lawsuit at the Ohio Supreme Court on Monday. Here is an audio report from Monday's press conference outside of the Ohio Supreme Court. A group of citizens is taking a complaint against the Medina County Board of Elections to the Ohio Supreme Court. Local officials invalidated signatures for a ballot initiative, but the group says those signatures were legitimate. Medina's city council passed a pro-LGBTQ ordinance that adds sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. A group that wanted voters to overturn it says about 50 signatures were wrongfully invalidated for not matching signatures on record. Chris Long with the Ohio Christian Alliance says they have proof those signees wanted their name on the petition, and they're asking the Ohio Supreme Court to validate those signatures. It is clear that the rights of these voters are being denied. The 47 voters whose signatures were wrongfully invalidated, as well as the other signers of the referendum petition, were denied their right to the ballot. The Medina County Board of Elections did not respond to a request for comment. Andy Chow at the Ohio Public Radio State House News Bureau. On our website at the Ohio Christian Alliance, you can actually click the link and read the case as it was filed. It is case number 2020-0179. And this is, again, um, the lawsuit on voter rights at the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, We are told that the court has uh, given the defendants in this case, which is county officials, 21 days to respond to the suit. So we will give you updates on this program. But I want to emphasize that this is a voting rights case at this point. The referendum effort out in the city of Medina on the LGBTQ special rights ordinance that was passed back in July did secure enough signatures, but the board will not hear our appeal of the 47 affidavits that we provided as proof of citizens that they wrongfully invalidated from the petition for what the board termed non-matching signature. That is basically a judgment call of Board of Election employees when they went through the petition said, oh, this signature doesn't match. The people that are registered voters in the city of Medina, 59 of them were invalidated. The board says that we're 44 signatures short. We secured, with help of our volunteers and notaries, to go out and to meet with these people, and they were more than eager to sign sworn affidavits saying, yep, that's me, and I want my signature on the petition. And that, is, ladies and gentlemen, is our case before the Ohio Supreme Court. We will keep you updated on this program, News in Focus. And again, this is defending the rights of the voters in the state of Ohio, the right of referendum. And as one uh, volunteer uh, said on Monday, he said this is tantamount to voter suppression. And that's what we have going on out there in the city of Medina. And we will give you more updates about that. Also, follow us on Facebook as we post up articles concerning this case and, of course, some of the news stories as well. Let me read you an excerpt from the press release. 
it says uh, here that uh, of the 939.44 short was needed to place the measure on the ballot. However, upon review by the Citizens Committee, after obtaining a public records request, the board's findings, it was discovered that 59 signatures had been disqualified for what the board termed non-matching signature. The Citizens Committee secured 47 affidavits with photocopy ID evidence from petitioners, signers whose signatures had been thus invalidated, attesting that indeed was their signature on the referendum petition. Let me read this statement to you. It is clear that the rights of these voters are being denied. The 47 voters whose signatures were wrongfully invalidated, as well as the other signers of the referendum petition, were denied their right to the ballot. This is a violation of everything we stand for concerning the integrity of elections. The right of the people's referendum should not be denied when they have clearly gathered enough signatures to place the referendum on the ballot for the people to decide. And of course, this would be on the ballot of November 2020. It is our hope that the court will see the injustice of the actions of the Bedina County Board of Elections and local county officials who have been insistent on taking no action and have become tone deaf concerning the fundamental constitutional rights of its citizens to vote. And again, this is concerning the lawsuit that we filed on Monday at the Ohio Supreme Court defending the rights of the voters of the city and the county of Medina. And you could find that information there. We also want to let you know that March 17th is the primary election, as it is Super Tuesday, and Ohio is part of Super Tuesday. And as it is, we send out surveys to candidates running for Congress, for those running for the Ohio House, for those running for the Ohio Senate. We have sent out nearly 300 uh, candidates' uh, surveys, Uh, for those running for office in the primaries. And people want to know where these candidates stand on issues of sanctity of human life, the defense of religious liberty, support for the family values and the traditional family structure, taxes and the Second Amendment, and the support for the state of Israel. These and other issues will be covered in the Ohio Christian Alliance Educational Voter Guide. Where do the candidates stand on these issues? We only know if they make their positions known through these candidate surveys. And again, that's on our website at ohioca.org. And again, they have until the 21st of February to get these surveys back into our office, and we'll post the results. And again, um, you can encourage candidates in your area to make sure that they're filling out the Ohio Christian Alliance candidate survey. Well, last night, President Trump delivered the State of the Union Address. With me on the phone is Pastor Phil Fulton and also Pastor Mark Abel, and we're going to talk uh, for the next 15 minutes about last night's speech by President Trump, and indeed, he covered some really important things of what is happening in our country, and the backdrop, of course, was his impeachment and the uh, pending vote that will take place today in the U.S. Senate, and it is predicted that he will be acquitted in the U.S. Senate. But last night, instead of going to the U.S. House of Representatives with his leg, uh, tail between his legs, the president came out fighting, and he actually delivered a powerful message to all those in attendance. Pastor Mark Abel, your thoughts on President Trump's delivery of the State of the Union address last night? Well, it was classy. <clears throat> it was respectable. <laughs> It was real, and uh, I think he struck a nerve with with uh, the American people. Um, you know, he came across professional, but not ridiculously polished to where um, 
you know, it came across as fake. And he hit, uh, he hit on the topics <clears throat> that we needed to hear him hit on, and he was unequivocally clear on where he stands and what um, he's hoping to do. I think he gave some very uh, clear challenges that he wants to see uh, the Congress uh, step up and do. Um, he was clear on the accomplishments that his administration was able to do and why some of them, including Soleimani and things like that, were so important uh, to get done. So I think it was an absolutely fantastic speech. Pastor Phil Fulton, uh, you've, like I, have seen a lot of these inaugural speeches over the years. And, uh, you know, I was started following along back with uh, Billy Carter in the 70s. Uh, in fact, uh, as a child, seen the ones with, uh, uh, of course, with the uh, President Johnson and, and President Kennedy when we were very young. And then, of course, uh, President Link, uh, uh, Nixon. But uh, we've seen a lot over the years with Reagan and uh, Clinton and Bush and Obama and now uh, President Trump. What are your thoughts concerning last night's State of the Union address by President Trump, who is the third president in our lifespan, you and me, Pastor Phil, that um, had either faced an impeachment or was impeached? Your thoughts? I thought he'd done a great job. Uh, One thing I, I really love, the American public got to see the speech and hear what he had to say. All the fake news channels that has always come out against President Trump, they had to, to have that on national TV, and the American public really got to listen to what was real. I love what he said uh, about the fact that he has tried in every way to keep the promises he's made to the American people. And he's done that. Uh, He gave all the accomplishments, and uh, really he came right down the line, and I I think he really slapped the Democrats right in the face. Uh, They did not like that because they've done everything they can to tear this president down. Uh, He came out on religious liberty, which my, I thought was fantastic, the right for the kids to pray in school, uh, unemployment at the lowest it's ever been. The economy is, is running great. Uh, he come out about Iran, and he was willing. He was willing to work with Iran if, if they would drop uh, their fact that they wanted nuclear bombs and and just keep on. So I I thought it was great. I thought all the uh, people there that he had, that he really uh, had to stand, it was a great speech in my mind. You know, we've seen a lot of these over the years, and of course, uh, it was interesting to see the president really, uh, in a very powerful manner, actually deliver this speech. Um, obviously half the room, which is the U.S. House of Representatives and the Democrats control the Congress at this point. Uh, they try to choreograph with, uh, you know, with, you know, the women that were wearing white dresses. And uh, actually there were protests on the floor. I've never seen that before. Um, no. 
And we've not seen the kind of disrespect towards the executive branch in a State of the Union address as we've seen, like last night, on display. And even in the gallery where one person had to be taken out because of uh, catcalls from the gallery. And that's just not to happen. This isn't Parliament where people shouted each other. This is the, uh, you know, really a very important moment for the American people in this republic, the State of the Union address, both uh, joint sessions of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives with the President, and then all members of the Cabinet and the U.S. Supreme Court and members of the U.S. military are all on hand to hear the Chief Executive deliver his speech on the State of the Union. And last night, folks, if you missed it, we're going to put up the transcript of it and also a link to the video on our website at ohioca.org. It is absolutely worth the view and the read. And there were some very poignant moments last night uh, that President Trump recognizing some very important and special people in the gallery. Um, Last night, of course, and this week has been a big news week, with the announcement of uh, undoubtedly one of uh, the nation's most beloved uh, radio talk show hosts, Rush Limbaugh, who has nearly 20 million listeners each week uh, for now 31 years running on a national syndicated program, uh, Rush Limbaugh. It was announced this week that he has stage four lung cancer. And so a very serious situation for Rush Limbaugh. The president has chosen to recognize him with the Presidential Freedom uh, Award. And last night, the the highest civilian award that can be granted, uh, they made the announcement uh, yesterday. And last night, in an unprecedented manner, he, he was actually presented with the medal in the gallery by the First Lady. And I don't think that's ever been done before, Pastor Phil. And uh, that was a very emotional moment, I know, for Rush. I think he was surprised that he was getting the medal at that moment. And also, he's a, he, personally, he's kind of a humble man. You hear him on the microphone, he's larger than life, but in person, he's a very humble man. He's very giving. He gives to a lot of charities. Uh, he actually likes to defer uh, attention away from himself in a personal way, what we're told from many people that know him. Uh, but yet, it was a very emotional moment for him, and I think for all of us who, who've come to love this uh, personality over the airwaves. Your thoughts? Well, I, I thought it was a very moving moment. Um, I just read yesterday where uh, Rush had had uh, they diagnosed him with the lung cancer. And uh, surely, when when we seen the announcement, the look on his face was was worth everything. Uh, I knew that uh, he was taken aback, and it really was a very very humbling humbling moment. And when. The president's wife put that Medal of Honor on him. He, he just couldn't hardly contain himself. And even afterwards, and of course, we know he's been a very conservative commentator all these years. And like you say, 20 million viewers. I, I thought it was, it was well done. And no, I had never, ever seen that done uh, at a State of the Union speech. And then... Uh, for Mrs. Trump doing it in the gallery. I, I thought it was fantastic. It was great. And, of course, the progressive liberals hate him because he stands for truth. You know, uh, Pastor Mark, it was a very, uh, really inspiring moment, I think, for a lot of people who have come to appreciate Rush Limbaugh over the years. Your thoughts about that last night? Well, I, I had my senior pictures 
taken in a Mega Ditto T-shirt back in 1993. <laughs> so I uh, I have a uh, a uh, strong, uh, um, really uh, strong bond with Rush uh, in the sense where you know he helped. Uh, in many ways, um, shape uh, some of my political uh, viewpoints. Um, so to see a man who has dedicated his life to, um, you know, just like uh, my fellow pastor said, to the truth and to the pursuit of teaching teaching individuals conservative principles. And for us, you know, it's it's so important that we understand those principles come from the Scriptures. Um, they don't parallel with the scriptures. They actually come from the scriptures. And to have a man, uh, you know, with the platform that he has, be able to present those in a manner which teaches people. Uh, if you listen to him, you learn. It's not. It's not. So many people, you know, you know, his skeptics have said, "Oh, he just, you know, gets on there and he rants and raves." No, he teaches. He does and indeed. He teaches and yeah. And when you listen, <clears throat> you know, you understand. He's principle driven. Um, and he has such a heart um, for the country, um, and he recognizes that it's those principles that um, our Judeo-Christian values um, define that made this country great. That's why he, that's why he is who he is, and why he received the medal that he justly deserved. Scripture says, "Honor those to whom honor is due," and by all means, I believe he is due that honor. So. Um, it was a moving moment for sure. Indeed, and if you've listened to Rush in the last few years, you can actually hear how his personal faith in Christ is deepening. His brother is a committed Christian, and uh, there's definitely been a change in Mr. Limbaugh over the years where his uh, faith has deepened in recent years, and we we give thanks to God for that. And a wonderful moment, uh, indeed, like you said, Pastor, honor to who honor is due, and it was a great moment for Rush because he had received such devastating news just this last week. Uh, from the doctors as he realized he was short of breath and went in and got uh, received exams and was declared to be at four, stage four lung cancer. And we our prayers are with Rush Limbaugh. The president uh, talked about a number of things, of course, the successes of his administration. Unemployment is down. It's un, un, it's down uh, for African-Americans, for Latinos, for women. Uh, lots of more people in our country uh, being able to find employment. Uh, one of the things he announced last night uh, when he came into office three years ago, there was 10 million Americans on food stamps. Seven million have come off food stamps in those three years. Uh, welfare uh, rolls are down. And and uh, employment is up, and businesses are growing, and so there's a lot of good things there. But Pastor Phil and Pastor Mark, I know one thing that's near and dear to your heart as it is to our, and we've covered on this program, about the opiate addiction uh, crisis in our country. He talked about how uh, opiate deaths uh, are down in Ohio and several other states that have uh, had devastating drug addiction and abuse problems, and we're starting to make headway here, uh, and uh, the president pointed out out last night. Of course, criminal justice reform. Uh, his administration was able to get that accomplished. Um, there's some other other things that the president's been able to do. Secure the southern wall uh, border. 
And so he's talking about how illegal immigration is down and how they're dealing with, uh, uh, you know, in supporting law enforcement. There were so many areas that he covered last night. Uh, and so there was so many things that people realized. It's like, wow, this president and this administration is really getting a lot of things done. And of course, just uh, just in the last 10 days, he spoke the first acting president to speak to the March for Life in Washington. We have a pro-life president who has defunded Planned Parenthood, who has advanced the cause for life. Uh, So many good things to come out of this. And uh, when his enemies encircled him and with the false accusers, and I'm going to say it, folks, if you're listening, I'm going to tell you something. This impeachment has been a sham from the beginning, and it has been uh, the wrong use of a very important mechanism in our U.S. Constitution to in a renegade executive but that's not what president trump is if the far leftists believe that he's a renegade he's a renegade because he doesn't go along with their pro-abort immoral uh ridiculous socialistic communistic lifestyle and view of life and that's why they consider him to be a renegade and quite honestly this man has actually honored israel honored the unborn and honored god surrounded himself with evangelical pastors you've got to wake up you got to pray for this man doesn't mean He's perfect, but I got to tell you, uh, this is a man who's getting things done, and he's doing it God's way, and he does have a sense of humility about him as well, Pastor. As he he always kind he seeks for prayer, he seeks for Amen. the prayer of God's uh, people. Pastor, fill your thoughts. I agree wholeheartedly with you, Brother Chris. I mean, he he has been true blue to the Christian community. Uh, I thought the school choice. Uh, the Education Freedom Scholarship Opportunity Act that he's trying to get Congress to pass. Yes, that, I, I thought that was that was huge, and I, I love that. Uh, and of course, the right to life, the the amount of drugs that they have stopped coming across the border, and the illegal immigrants that's coming across the border. All these things is is great, and and I th- I thought you know to be. Christian community, and not only the Christian community, to the country as a whole. Our country needs to wake up and see that we've got a man in the White House that has tried to do everything he could for the people of this country and not just for a spatial agenda to lift up himself. Mm. That's right. And folks, I'm holding in my hand an untorn transcript of last night's speech by President Trump. And Pastor Mark, we're going to close with this because unfortunately, in a very uh, reckless act, the uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, stood up after the end of the uh, President's uh, words in his speech and tore the speech in half for everyone to see. Your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Well, look, she's sitting in our seat. That's the people's seat. And the people put this man in the office, and like you said, it it all goes together. Okay, you've got an uncivilized, evil, um, uh, um, and that's a that's a very strong word to use, but I but I believe it's the it's the scriptures words. You know, you know, cling to what is good and abhor what is evil. And what she did is mm-hmm. absolutely um, something to abhor. Um, she does not represent <clears throat> um, who the American people are. And uh, it shows why we have behavior problems in schools, because we have politicians who are supposed to be leading us who can't even control their behavior. Shame on her. 
I want to say shame on Mitt Romney for what he's come out and said, that um, um, how he's going to vote um, on this president. It's, it's absolutely um, a, a, a blemish on our, on our country, but we can't let that take away from the, what the positives were, the incredible positives of that speech. Pastor Mark, Pastor Phil, thank you for being my guest today. We've run out of time, but uh, thank you for weighing in. And again, folks, if you've missed any of this program, you can always hear it in its incompletion on our website at ohioca.org. Stay tuned. On the other side, we'll be hearing from the county prosecutor from Kenton, Kentucky, who defended the Covington Catholic High School students and the charges that he pursued after people that made serious threats against the students. You don't want to miss this interview with the uh, Rob Sanders, the prosecutor. Prosecutor from Kenton, Kentucky. Stay tuned. That we'll be right back. And gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. God bless you. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Hi, this is David Barton of Wall Builders. On Veterans Day, November 11, we salute all of our brave Ohio veterans and active duty military. Since 1776, our veterans have fought to keep America free and to liberate millions around the world from oppression, and they still do that today. But today, we see many Americans who refuse to honor our flag, who disrespect our founders, and they even want to remove Christian crosses from military cemeteries. To keep America free, we need to elect political leaders who share our patriotic values. To do that, veterans and their families and people of faith must be registered to vote. It's our duty to protect our God-given freedoms that our veterans bravely fought for. It's easy. Just go to MyOhioVote.com to register to vote. That's MyOhioVote.com. God bless you, and God bless America. Paid for by the One Nation Under God Foundation, a tax-exempt committee. Please visit our website at www.oneundergod.us. Okay, and we're back, and we're going to be talking about the Covington Catholic High School students one year later. And I want to read to you an excerpt of this letter that we wrote uh, to the FBI agent there in Cincinnati a year ago calling for an investigation uh, about the serious threats that came in against the school in the aftermath of the uh, hate campaign of the counter-protest in Washington, D.C. after they participated in the March for Life. We said there, the Justice Department stands for justice for all and everyone equal under the law. Does the well-being and safety of a congressman outweigh the safety and security of school children? The individuals who made these vicious and dangerous threats against the Covington Catholic children must be held accountable for their threats against these minors. We are making this official appeal to you today in hope that those who made these threats and violated the law can be brought to justice. 
these Christian students were participating in a peaceful civic activity in our nation's capital, exercising their First Amendment right by participating in the annual March for Life as they waited for the bus to take them back home. They became the target from counter-protesters, then they became the targets of a media, social, and media-generated hate campaign. Their civil rights were violated, and then they became targets of a hate campaign with serious documented threats that were made against them. That is why, special agent in charge, we are asking for your department to pursue the investigation of these threats and to bring to justice those who have violated the law. And now let's go to the audio from the press conference. This was a year ago in the aftermath of the March for Life and what had happened at the Covington Catholic High School. And here's the press conference. Good morning. My name is Chris Long. I'm the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance and also Christian Alliance of America. And today we are here in Cincinnati to stand in defense and support of the Covington Catholic High School students who have become the target of a hate campaign since their attendance at the March for Life uh, just a week ago. We are here today because we are standing with the students uh, in the face of this uh, torrent of a hate campaign against them and their school. The serious threats that were levied against the students and their school has caused the school to close. It's called athletic programs to be suspended. Uh, we understand just by a report that one family had to leave their home because they were doxxed. There were crimes that were committed against these young people who were simply at the March for Life to participate in a civic uh, practice of the March for Life. They were waiting for the bus at the Lincoln Memorial and then began to have this hate campaign levied against them. Let's understand something. These are minors. These are youth. And uh, this is really ridiculous when we're talking about what has become of this situation. And as Christians, and their civil liberties are under assault. So we are today calling for the FBI and the Justice Department to investigate the very serious threats that were levied against the students and the Christian school. And so today with me is Meg Whitman of Cincinnati Right to Life, also Mark Harrington of Created Equal, a number of pro-life, pro-family groups and uh, religious advocacy organizations have signed on to this letter that today was received by the Justice Department in Washington, D.C., the field office here in Cincinnati, and also the field office in Kentucky. And we're going to meet with FBI officials a little later this morning to discuss the details of these threats and how they plan on pursuing the investigation. I'm going to turn it over to Mark Harrington. And that was an excerpt from our press conference last year in Cincinnati on Fountain Square. And again, uh, that was a year ago uh, this uh, week. And we did receive a letter back from the Justice Department, actually from uh, the Civil Rights Unit, uh, uh, Jeffrey Ver Verletti, and he wrote this. Dear, dear Mr. Long, I'm writing in response to your letter addressed to the Assistant Attorney General, uh, Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, dated January 28, 2019. In this letter, you have requested an investigation into these threats against the Covington Catholic High School students and their school. It is our understanding you have already spoken with a special agent from the Covington uh, Residency Age, uh, resident agent on February 4th about this letter. We have provided a copy of your letter addressed to uh, AAG Dryband and to the special agent. Any further concerns regarding this matter should be sent directly to the FBI's uh, Louisville Field Office, Covington uh, Resident Agency, located, and it gives the address. So we did receive a response from 
uh, the Justice Department. Uh, but we were waiting to see. They, the FBI and the Justice Department say it's, it's, uh, we're delegating this and working in cooperation with local uh, law enforcement, which would be the county prosecutor's office there in Covington, Kentucky. And uh, Rob Sanders was actually responsive and uh, talked with us about uh, how he was going to try to pursue some of these cases, and he was concerned about it, and that was good response from local law enforcement. We have uh, the prosecutor on, Rob Sanders, and it's been one year. Let's uh, check in with him. Mr. Sanders, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, sir, and thank you for what you were doing on behalf of these kids and uh, really uh, your community and responding. And I know that it upset you personally. You, The Covington Catholic High School is a great institution in your area, and it's it's really renowned. And, you know, some great people have graduated from there and gone on to do some really good things. And so it's uh, uh, an institution really in high regard in the greater uh, Kentucky and Cincinnati area. Tell us about, from your standpoint, how this this all went down last year? Well, at the time I got involved, it was on the weekend, I believe a Saturday morning, and I went to uh, have my coffee and check my social media, as I'm accustomed to do in the early morning weekend hours, and my Twitter feed was just blowing up. That was shortly after the CovCast video, the original edited, shortened-down version of the video, the misleading video, had gone viral. And the Twitter feed, as I said, was blowing up, and it was it was just out of control. It was horrible. People were saying horrible things about these children, and that's ultimately what we got to remember that we're talking about is not adults but children. Yes. And that there were uh, some very, very nasty, vile, violent statements, and some certainly that could be taken as threats. In fact, some that blatantly were threats. Uh, now, most of these threats were being made by people that were using anonymous Twitter accounts, and I think it goes to pretty much the same no matter what social media platform uh, they happen to be using. I know we investigated Instagram accounts, Facebook accounts, um, obviously Twitter accounts, and I think there were a few more social media platforms that we looked into before um, it was all said and done. And virtually everyone is not very hard, or at least they're not very strict about making someone identify their, themselves in any way, shape, or form when it comes to their online media accounts. And to a T, every one of these people that, that was making any kind of threats against these students, they were doing it under pseudonyms, false names, made-up names, names that just obviously were not them. Um, we put in between I guess at one point we had upwards of uh, eight or ten different police agencies working on these threats for various reasons, depending on where individual students lived, what uh, the, what police department had jurisdiction um, over Covcat. Uh, you know, Covcat sits in Park Hills, Kentucky, which is a tiny little suburb of Cincinnati. It's got a I think the police department only has eight or ten officers on it, so it overwhelmed the Park Hills police. We had Kenton County Police working on it, Erlanger Police, um, my own office, and my in-house detectives were working on it. It really was a giant undertaking, time-consuming matter. Um, it's not fast to get any kind of records out of any um, online social media company at all. We're really at their, their mercy for turnaround time when it comes to being responsive to our subpoenas and to our search warrants. And ultimately, after weeks and months of digging through these records, we were uh, 
only able to identify two individuals who made uh, statements online that could be construed or that definitely were threats. There's really two layers to this investigation that were major obstacles to overcome. One was sorting through the things that were just vile and nasty statements, but they weren't necessarily threats or they were threats that uh, had contingencies to them or threats that were not specific in nature to any one person, individual, or CuffCath as a whole. Um, and then, uh, so we had to find the ones that were actionable under the law. And after we sorted out all the ones that were not actionable, then we had to see if we could identify the people responsible for those threats. We got it down to the point uh, that we identified two people. One was in California, one was in Tennessee, that we could identify that made what I believe to be actionable threats, or at least um, arguably actionable threats, that we had probable cause to proceed against. Um, by this time, it was months and months after the fact. Um, by this time, the social media storm, and for that matter, the media storm, had blown over. Uh, life had gotten back to normal at Covington Catholic. Um, they were not having to have police officers stand guard uh, or park police cars in front of the school every day. There had been no more recent threats um, you know, really, life was back to normal for the CuffCat students, and we had to make the decision at that point, was it worth it uh, to continue to pursue possible criminal charges when we're talking about Class D felonies, which is the low, lowest level of felony in Kentucky? We're talking about a tremendous undertaking in terms of charging, arresting, and extraditing um, the individuals back to Kentucky. Now, the one from Tennessee wouldn't have been a big deal, but the one from California would have been uh, quite burdensome on our sheriff's department and quite expensive for the taxpayers to go get. But we also had to take into account what were we going to do to the lives of the students at Covington Catholic if we stirred this hornet's nest back up again. And ultimately, uh, after being in consultation with everybody from law enforcement to the school to the parents, uh, I came to the decision that it was it was better to let it go and let the students continue to live a normal life than it was to try and make examples out of only two people when there were dozens, if not hundreds of people that had made statements that if we had been able to identify them, that it could have been actionable against them. Uh, we did get far enough into it that uh, we made known to the two individuals that they were under investigation. Both individuals had to hire attorneys and go to great lengths to try and defend themselves. Um, I think it, it caused them uh, certainly concern and stress and not to mention attorney's fees uh, to prepare for the possibility that they might be arrested and brought back to Kentucky. Um, but at that point, the cost-benefit analysis, I think we had sent the message, we had made a difference, we had let the world know that this was not acceptable behavior to be threatening students, yes. and that we were, were not going to tolerate it. And effectively, we put a stop to it. And it, it just came to a point where I made the decision that we had made enough of an example, and it was better not to disrupt the lives of the Covington Catholic students just to bring charges against uh, two individuals. 
We're talking with Rob Sanders. He is the uh, prosecutor in Kenton, Kentucky, that includes uh, Covington uh, Catholic High School, and, and then, of course, uh, pursuing the investigation of these very serious threats that came in against the school. Rob, when we go back a year ago this time, it was a much different story. Thankfully, things have gotten uh, back to normal, and the kids can just uh, be kids and, and live their high school life. That's what we all wanted. Um and what we were concerned about was social media and the national liberal media basically fomented this whole thing. They created the problem. Now, of course, the Sandman family, they filed uh, uh, civilly in court, and uh, one settlement uh, again, uh, with CNN is settled out of court with his, uh, Nick Sandman and his parents and the attorneys. Uh, but we, as an organization advocating our, in our National Identity Christian Alliance of America, we did the press conference because we wanted to show shine a light on this and get the Justice Department's uh, attention to this because the school had to shut down. There was a bomb threats. There was uh, even calling for, you know, shooting. I don't even want to get into all the details. They're just so heinous at the time. I think most people know just how ridiculous, heinous, and uh, serious the threats that came in against the schools. There were a couple families that had to leave their homes uh, because they were doxxed. Uh, and that, all of that was just un. Uh, unbelievable, quite honestly. And, you know, sometimes you, you have to speak up uh, and, and not let just something uh, pass. And I know that you, as a law enforcement in your community, it infuriated you that this was happening to innocent people in your community. Speak to that for a minute. Well, it did. It was very frustrating, too, because, we, you know, from a law enforcement standpoint, we got a at best, a slow response out of the social media platforms that were facilitating the doxing of these students and their families. And it really did cause a great disruption to their lives. Not only did the Sandman family have to move out of their home for a few days, but there was another student who was misidentified. The initial statements online was that this was him when in turns out it was Nick Sandman all along, and this student wasn't even in D.C. for the March uh, for Life at that time, and yet because of the threats, they still had to move out of their home for a couple days. Uh, plus, like you said, these were vulgar, heinous statements. They were made about children, um, Catholic school children, and it's just uncalled for. There's just no circumstances. I don't. Number one, I don't think that these uh, students did anything wrong, but even if they had done something wrong, there's no circumstances where it is acceptable behavior to make threats against children. That's just ridiculous. It's It's uncivilized conduct. And we were very frustrated initially um, by the lack of cooperation we were getting, or at least the slow cooperation uh, from online platforms. They refused to take statements down. They just ignored complaints about statements. And I think that this goes not just to the to the liberal media coverage, to the national media coverage, but also to the online internet providers that do these social media platforms, that everybody has to be more responsible about their conduct. They have to be more responsible about their reporting. They have to be more responsible about the statements that they allow to be made on their platforms about the information, individual, personal, private, identifying information, like addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, things like that, where they can really disrupt someone's life uh, 
over what turned out to be blatantly false statements in this case. And it wouldn't have been acceptable even if the statements had been true. But in this case, the statements were blatantly false. And so I congratulate Nick Sandman and his family for pursuing the civil cases um, against CNN and the other defendants in their various suits. I think that's appropriate because the news media has to be accountable for what they do. And me being a public figure, I am only too aware of how out of control the media can be and how much insulation they enjoy when when making false statements about public figures. But Nick Sandman wasn't a public figure at this point, so they didn't have nearly as much protection um, about making false statements against him like they do when they do it about a public figure like myself. Uh, so I applaud him. I'm glad that he's going after him. I think that's a better venue for this. You know, in criminal court, we have a standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt versus preponderance of the evidence in civil courts. And I think monetary damages is probably the best way to get the attention of the people that can really make a difference in the future. You know, prosecuting one or two individuals isn't going to change the uh, behavior of the hundreds of individuals that react in this unacceptable way whenever they see something they don't like in the news or or online. Um, However, hitting these corporations for multi-million dollar settlements or verdicts will bring a difference in the way things are reported. It will bring a difference in the way uh, statements are allowed to be made, false narratives are allowed to be perpetuated online. And ultimately, I think that will have a much greater difference, a much better effect on our society than, than putting one or two people in jail or on probation or something like that for their conduct. Well, I think that your your office being responsive at the time and doing the proper investigation, uh, I want to bring up about the FBI because was the FBI assistant assisting you, and do you feel that you received the kind of assistance uh, from the FBI that the public probably thinks that they provided for you? What what kind of assistance did you get from them? We got some. I I guess the short answer is no. I was a little frustrated. Um, not necessarily just the FBI, but federal agencies in general, um, I, I would have liked to have seen them do more to help out because, quite frankly, state prosecutors have, you know, we have great jurisdiction to reach out when a felony has been committed and, and bring someone back to Kentucky, but we have very little ability to cross state lines and go investigate actions that took place in another jurisdiction. Uh, we could have really used a lot more help when it came to the federal government in terms of sending their agents who they have in field offices all across the country, whether it be the FBI or any other federal agency, we could really use some more help in terms of investigating this behavior, identifying the people that were responsible for it. I think the federal government gets a much better, much faster response from internet companies when they send subpoenas and search warrants. Um, I would have liked to have had more federal agents moving faster across the country to go knock on doors and ask questions of the people who were living where the IP addresses came back. Um, As it played out, we had to rely on the assistance of other uh, state and municipal law enforcement agencies across the country. Some were more responsive than others. Uh, We actually got some of the most help from the Los Angeles Police Department, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, um, of any other ones, which kind of surprised me because they're such large agencies. I didn't entirely expect them uh, to care that much about what happened back in Kentucky. However, they were very responsive. Wow. And gave us the 
detectives to go out and make those contacts, and that's how one of the two individuals was identified. And they actually got the person to admit that he was the one that made the online statements. Now, of course, he couched it saying that he was just venting and never actually had any plans to do anything, nor had he hadn't actually ever even been to Kentucky, didn't know where Covington Catholic was for that matter. Um, he had all sorts of excuses, but at that point, you know, that right there is already a great deterrent when you, know, you make these uh, outrageous, inflammatory, not to mention criminal statements online, and a, a day or two later, you got an L.A. Uh, detective knocking on your door. Uh, that is a big deterrent. Whether you'd arrested or not, I don't think that guy will ever be as foolish as to make those kind of statements again. Um, it would have been nice if we would have gotten a, a quicker response uh, from the federal agencies that have uh, agents spread out all across the country and could have done this a lot faster than us trying to contact the right people in the right agencies and the right jurisdictions at states that are thousands of miles away. Well, Rob, that's what we were attempting to do with our press conference, not draw attention to students, but draw attention to law enforcement and to those who actually are making these threats against the schools that, you know, these are crimes. You can't do that. These are kids and it's not going to be tolerated and we're going to have it investigated. And I'm glad that you pursued it. I'm glad you did receive some cooperation from some law enforcement. In this case, it happened to be in L.A. County. Uh, We're thankful for that and some in Tennessee. But I agree with you. The federal agencies, at least they uh, sent us back a letter, they were aware of it. Uh, Hopefully for future reasons, they'll be more participating in this kind of thing. And this has been a teaching moment, I think, for media that has been irresponsible. They're going to, obviously, on on civil uh, case, they're having to pay out. Uh, But also, I think, by the public's uh, shame, quite honestly. Uh, Hopefully it's been a teaching moment for everyone. And these kids, God bless them, and the school. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, in that way, they're back to life as usual. That's what we want for our kids. And uh, what you wanted for the the kids in your community at Covington Catholic High School. And we're so thankful uh, you were really a stand-up guy. You did uh, your office well and your community well by the way you pursued this. And uh, I think that's uh, what people were really encouraged by. So I want to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate you saying that, and and it's good that you brought up that it's a teaching moment because, quite frankly, I don't know that anybody in law enforcement had encountered anything quite like this, uh, where these, uh, you know, we've had viral things happen all across the country. We've had individuals get doxxed. We've had all kinds of things happen over things that have gone viral on online or on the internet. Um, but I don't know that anybody had ever encountered a viral attack on a single school or on an entire school, I should say. So it was a learning moment for law enforcement all across the country, too. And just like law enforcement prepares for all sorts of other horrible situations like uh, school shooters or or bombings or terrorist attacks or whatever, I think this is yet another way. Now, obviously, hopefully nobody will ever lose their life over some kind of viral Uh, online attack and death threats and things like that. But at the same time, we have to learn how to respond. I think that this was a teaching moment for law enforcement, and I'm hopeful that in the future, uh, law enforcement can be better prepared to respond and really shut this conduct down and hopefully track down the people that were responsible so that there can be better, faster, uh, 
accountability than there was in this case. And I think it was certainly a learning moment for me. I think my office and the agencies that I work with will be better prepared to deal with it in the future. And I'm hopeful that other jurisdictions can learn from what happened to us uh, and be ready in case it ever happens in their jurisdiction as well. Because this is one of those things, you know, you never expect is whether you're a prosecutor, police chief, or, or anybody else in law enforcement, you never expect to be the agency that's appearing on national news networks all across the country at any given moment. Um, but this was my lesson that you just never know when it's going to be you. And this was our time in the spotlight. It's certainly a time that we would have liked to avoid it, but uh, we dealt with it. We made the best of it. And we'll be better prepared for it in the future. Rob, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. God bless you, sir, for your service to your community, and we thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Again, that's uh, County Prosecutor from Kenton, Kentucky, Rob Sanders, and bringing some closure to the Covington Catholic High School scenario that happened a year ago this time, and actually the kids responded by bringing four busloads back to the March for Life, continuing their civic duty and uh, their cause for life. Thanks for listening today. If you uh, missed any of the program, you can catch it on our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. See you next week. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.